Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science Podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with Matthew Corrigan, who's the author of Conservative Hurricane, How Jeb Bush Remade Florida. I hope that you enjoy this interview that I did with Matthew. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, again, we're talking today with Matthew Corrigan, who's the author of Conservative Hurricane, How Jeb, Book, Jeb Bush Remade Florida. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Heath. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Pleasure to talk about this interesting book and timely book uh, for where we are in the, the campaign calendar. Before we get to the book, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, where you are, and maybe where you've been. Sure. Uh, I'm chair and, and professor of political science uh, at the University of, of North Florida, and North Florida's University of North Florida is in Jacksonville. Uh, and I've been here throughout my entire academic career, which is a little hard to believe. It's been 17 years now. And uh, the interest behind the book and why I wrote the book is I, I actually uh, two of my areas are Florida politics and, and presidential politics. And so uh, I, I must admit uh, I wasn't uh, I couldn't see into the future. I didn't really mm-hmm. know if you if Jeb Bush would consider running in 2016 when I started this about three or four years ago, but. Uh, you know, there was talk then, and I decided, you know, even if he didn't run for president, his his governorship was was really important to the state, and a book needed to be written about it. Yeah, I guess if your last name is Bush, it's hard to avoid rumors about a future presidential run. Sure. So uh, there's there's lots of Bush children out there who can start writing about uh, just now, and it'll happen in 20 years from now. So let's let's talk about the book. Uh, you begin where most of the recent history of the Bush family begins. That is November 2000. I wonder if you would replay for us uh, where the subject of your Bush of your book, Jeb Bush, stood during that election. Where was he in in November 2000? Well, on election night, he was about 10 feet from George W. Bush uh, because they had gathered in a hotel in Texas to with you know the entire family to watch the results. And in Florida, we have, as everyone knows now, we have an unusual system for coordinating our elections. Uh, a lot of the responsibility is at the county level. So we have elected county supervisors of, of elections. And most of them run on a party label, which obviously makes very little sense. But you have, you know, Republicans and Democrats who run as the supervisor of elections for all the counties in, in Florida, or most of the counties in Florida. And, and then you do have a central uh, place in Tallahassee where at the Department of State where they try to coordinate all of this. And so the governor's responsibility really isn't that important to, to elections, but it just so happened that the person who was the head of Department of State at the time for the state of Florida was Catherine Harris, who was a co-chair of George W. Bush's campaign. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so clearly that there are emails, you know, going back and forth. But, but at the end of the day, 
it, it is hard to place the blame for that fiasco at, at the governor's uh, office. It really, the whole system in the state was, was poor. Uh, people didn't know how to do a recount. And so, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of people outside Florida, uh, you know, match Jeb Bush with that episode. And so that's why I decided to start off the book with it. Yeah. And, and you're right, just on that very point, that this is a, quote, an unfortunate consequence of history that's that so many people associate Jeb Bush with this situation. Um, why is it unfortunate? Uh, what do we miss out um, on understanding Jeb Bush sort of from a big picture? Uh, we'll get to the details later. But, but why is it an unfortunate consequence of history that, that we attach him so closely to this uh, election in 2000? Yeah, because his governorship was really important to the state. And, and I make the argument in the book he was the most powerful governor in, in Florida history. And you know whether you agreed with him or disagreed with him, uh, he put together an agenda. He got that agenda passed through the legislature, and he was very involved in its implementation. And, and we don't see that in government much anymore, those three steps. And uh, so I, I, I thought his legacy was a lot more important than, than that election, because that election was really about George W. Bush, not about Jeb Bush. Yeah, and you, you also write that, uh, that Jeb Bush uh, completely changed Florida politics. So I wonder, what was Florida like before Jeb Bush, and what did he do to change the state so completely? Yeah, he brought in the first uh, really unified Republican govern government in Florida since Reconstruction. And, you know, Florida is a, a weird mix. It has a very conservative political structure in terms of the South, and, and I'll get to that in a second. And it combines with, you know, a tremendous demographic upheaval that occurs in the state almost yearly because so many people come to our state from many places throughout the United States and many places throughout the world. And uh, so you've, you've got kind of this old structure that mixes with this ever-changing population and and that that structure came from the civil war just like many other southern states that uh after really the failed attempt at uh reconstruction we had a period known as redemption where where white conservatives really took control of the state's politics again after the civil war and the one thing they could all agree upon is that they did not want a strong executive because of their experience with the federal government after the Civil War. And so the state constitution was written as a very weak executive. Uh, you didn't have a lieutenant governor. The executive, the governor, was limited to one term. Uh, he had to share power with a, a large cabinet. Uh, there were many commissions put throughout the state that kind of diverted power from the governor's office. And so that started um, a uh, a pattern of really Florida governors not having a huge role in really the state's um, history or the state's direction. And, I mean, there are a couple of exceptions. And, and in 1968, a, a constitutional revision went through that gave some uh, more power to the governor, but, but he still had to deal with a relatively large cabinet. Uh, and by that time, the state legislature was so entrenched in its power because they had no term limits and you had a lot of Southern conservative uh, Democrats who had been in the legislature forever. And then the legis 
legislature really you know ran the show and so when when bush came in and and this goes through even important governors like uh, Reuben Askew is a name many people probably know mm-hmm. uh he he was an effective governor but he got a lot of his things passed through the initiative not through the legislature and uh you know Leroy Collins in the 1950s is is well known because he really stood up against segregation at the time but he couldn't really accomplish a whole lot else because the legislature wouldn't let him do much and so so by, by the late 1990s, what occurred when, when Bush came in is he had the, the very fortunate timing of coming in when we had some state constitutional changes that shrunk the cabinet. He also was dealing with term limits on legislators, which is you know a major boom to gubernatorial power. Uh, and, and that, and this was the first group that was going through the term limits. Uh, and, and also obviously with his name and his brother who was even after the 1998, um, election was already being mentioned as a presidential candidate, really brought in all of that power. Uh, he really had the run of the show in the state and, and really kind of shifted the power to the governor's office. And what he did with that is he implemented a very conservative agenda. Yeah, and, and let's talk about that because today uh, Jeb Bush has pre- been presented to us in some ways as a moderate, um, particularly in a field of potential conservative candidates for the presidency in, in 2016. But you describe him as an activist conservative and as a culture warrior. So what do we know about what Jeb Bush believes? Uh, how would you characterize his ideology? Yeah, again, I think the book, makes a strong argument it, it it's conservative it, it's not tea party conservative but it's it's conservative and 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 the name of the book comes from the idea that you know the changes that we just talked about bush you know came in with and was really able to put together an agenda and in florida obviously being a you know with a southern democratic history you know was conservative to begin with but there wasn't a lot of action on some of those items when when Bush came into office, uh, you know, he moved very quickly, and and I think the Jeb Bush of 1999 would be completely amazed that in the year 2014 that he's being called a moderate, because uh, he really made the point of uh, showing his conservatism, and and I think you can go back to his family history. You know, his his father was often uh, chided in Texas, and and even when he became vice president and, and and president for not being conservative enough. Uh, George W. Bush in, in his congressional race in Texas, which he lost, really was kind of run out of the, the state, if you will, politically uh, until he ran again uh, by a Southern Democratic uh, conservative who said, you know, W is not conservative enough. And, and I think I think Jeb learned from those lessons, and he made sure in the 1990s that he was identified as a conservative. When he first ran in 1994 uh, and lost in a very close race in, in Florida, uh, he called himself a head-banging conservative and uh, and really made some, some statements during the campaign that, um, you know, he wished he had back. And, and, and so in that race, he was cast as the, the far, the, the candidate on the far right. And, and he almost won beating a sitting governor, Lawton Childs, who was also a United States senator from Florida. So he ran a close race. 1998 comes along, and uh, he 
doesn't really retreat from a lot of his positions, but he his tone is a lot better. His tone is a lot more moderate. For example, in 1994, when he was asked, what are you going to do for African Americans, he said, probably nothing. Um, by 1998, he had worked at a charter school, really founded a charter school in, in Liberty City, Miami, which is an urban area in Miami, uh, and, and worked on some urban issues. And you know, realized that that uh, you know he couldn't give off this tone, and and actually won a, a bigger percentage of the African American vote in 1998. Uh, so with all of that, um, when he when he got elected uh, and starting and in, in his governorship started in 1999, he was ready with a conservative agenda, and he started right off, and, and I can just go over the social issues with you and the cultural issues. Uh, he, again, he called himself uh, probably the most pro-life governor uh, in in the United States, and uh, so a lot of uh, these abortion restrictions and restrictions on abortion providers that we've seen kind of go through the the United States, especially in in the South. Uh, you know, Florida is one of the first places that did that, and that was under his leadership. Uh, he also ended affirmative action in the state by executive order, um, kind of trying to ward off a guy named Ward Connerly who was trying to put an initiative on the ballot and and the Bush people didn't want that initiative on the ballot during the presidential election so uh, he, he basically ended affirmative action in the state um, by executive order. Uh, he replaced it with a, another policy outcome but but he had not really consulted with the African-American leaders in the state and uh, there was a march on Tallahassee when after he took that action. Uh, the, the famous or the infamous Terry Schiavo case where uh, he, he challenged the, the court's authority to uh, deal with uh, or to allow um, uh, uh, the woman's family, Terry Schiavo, her, her husband, to cut off her nutrition uh, because she was in the end of a life end of life situation, uh, and really kind of challenged the courts at that point. Uh, that that became a you know a national uh, drama. Uh, the Florida legislature passed a passed a bill trying to protect Terry Schiavo. The United States Congress passed a bill. The President George W. Bush uh, flew from from Washington, flew home from Texas to Washington uh, in the middle of the night to sign that legislation. And at the end of the day, the the courts all said the same thing that the that the husband had the legal authority to do that. And 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 Bush challenged that to the the very very end. Uh, so there's a lot of these examples where Bush put together a very socially conservative agenda, uh, including gun rights. Uh, again, a lot of these pieces of legislation you're seeing around the country now about uh, the expansion of rights for concealed weapon holders and, and of course, the infamous stand, stand your ground legislation um, started in Florida and started under Jeb Bush. So. All of that put together, to, in my mind, is, is a very conservative social and cultural agenda. Now, what, is, what has he been doing since? Um, you know, this is one of the, the pitfalls of, of the, the 
governor position that he that he held that it was a single term what has what has he been doing um since he left uh, that position no he served for two terms because uh, sorry for two terms yeah yeah because by um in that 1968 revision uh they allowed the governor to serve two terms uh but the uh, uh since then he has been very active in in uh, his educational foundation mm-hmm. and and um uh and he's got a national educational foundation, a state educational foundation. And this is not just merely a speaker's bureau. I mean, he's getting funding from some of the uh, big book publishers, some online um, educators and education groups who have a kind of a vested interest in, in educational outcomes. And, uh, you know, he's had, uh, in one of these foundations, that at one time there's a staff of 30. Um, so he's got, you know, researchers and, and I assume speechwriters and things like that. And, and, and really in the state of Florida, the, the, the last chapter in the book calls him the shadow governor because he, he's really maintained a lot of his influence in the state. And some argued he even named the the education commissioner a couple of years ago that it was really his candidate, not Rick Scott's candidate. Uh, so what he's done with this education issue is, is really kept his name out there and uh, and really kind of allowed him to, to stay involved in the policy argument. Now, obviously, the testing under a lot of, a lot of his proposals has become very controversial, and 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 then kind of brought into the umbrella called the Common Core, which many other states have adopted. So, uh, I look at that on, on in two ways. Number one, it's an incredible policy achievement that what started in in Florida has gone out to other states. And two, it's it's obviously a danger point if if he decides to run for president because it's become uh, very unpopular. Uh, But you've got to keep in mind that testing is only part of it. Testing is the trigger to the policy outcomes. And and the policy outcomes are to increase school choice. And, and for example, uh, since you know his time as governor we have now in florida over 220,000 students in charter schools uh we have 80,000 students in what they call corporate ta- on corporate tax scholarships that attend private schools uh so uh, there's there's lots of choice options in the state and and my city of jacksonville a study just came out that said 40% of Public school students do not go to their neighborhood school. They they do some choice option, whether it's you know public school choice or or take a cor- corporate tax scholarship. So, um, you know that's again an example of a policy that's that's been been implemented. And I think if he does run for president. He'll basically say, well, we can talk about testing, and then there's probably too much testing, but at the end of the day, we want to increase choice. And and I think some conservative groups will, will buy that argument because part of that increasing choice will be to take on the teachers' unions, which have, have not been – uh, a friend of Jeb Bush's here in Florida, and and I think that probably gets him some conservative uh, credentials there. So you've you've alluded to the the potential of a run. Uh, you probably don't know whether or not he's going to run, and if you did know, you probably wouldn't tell us. But maybe you could just you know offer some thoughts about the viability of a of a potential uh, uh, 2006 uh, 2016 campaign. 
talk to us about where we are now, where where you think his uh, his his uh, livelihood uh, might be for the 2016 election. Yeah, I have no inside information. He he did not agree to an interview for the book, uh, but all the evidence that. That, that I've looked at, I think leans towards Iran, and and the reason is is that you know I'm not sure why he would be doing the things that that he's he's been doing the last couple of months, if he wasn't seriously considering it. Uh, you know, as we're as we're speaking here in, in November, I believe he's got a uh, he just accepted uh, to be the graduation speaker at the University of South Carolina, and he's going to go campaign for. Uh, the Republican candidate and the Senate runoff in Louisiana. And he just had a huge educational meeting in Washington where he talked about, uh, you know, his educational reform efforts. So to me, all that points to, uh, you know, that, that he's seriously considering it. And when his brother, W. Bush, said that, uh, you know, it's 50 50, but he's not afraid to fail to me that was a big statement because i think the question of whether he jeb bush runs and whether he wins are are two very different questions because i think it's very hard to predict who's going to win on the republican side i mean there's so many possible uh, alternatives and scenarios but the question is in my mind is i i think he's probably would like to debate you know, educational testing and would like to debate immigration reform and so forth. Uh, I don't think he's scared of that at all. I, I think it probably comes down to a personal decision and, and probably one where you think, you know, I might not win if I, if I, if I run. And so when, when W. Bush said he wasn't afraid to fail, to me, that gave some indication that, you know, he's, that Jeb Bush is really thinking about this because I, I don't think there are any guarantees if, if he runs, but everything that he's been doing for the last month seems to uh, indicate that that's what he wants to do. Yeah, Matthew Corkin's book is Conservative Hurricane, How Jeb Bush Remade Florida, published this year by University Press uh, of Florida. Uh, Matthew, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Heath. I enjoyed it. <laughs> 